Having said that, we're going to jump in to our eighth message in our series right now. Um, we are in the middle of a 10, or towards the end of a 10-week series that is a part of a 30-week campaign we're doing called Believe. The 10 weeks is Think Like Jesus. It wouldn't be embarrassing if you just got here on time, girls. <laughs> it's my daughter and her friend, so I can do it. Everyone's going, oh my gosh, I'm never coming to this church. <laughs> So, yeah, we're, we're towards the end of, a, of uh, this 10 weeks where we're talking about what, what, do we, what does it mean to think like Jesus? What, is, what does Jesus think and how, how do we think like him? And so we spent the first few weeks talking about the kind of the foundational aspects of believing in God and who God is and, and believing in what it means to have salvation, that Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with us. And now we're kind of moving into beliefs that, that move into action, that, that without the foundational beliefs, we really can't continue to follow through on these things that he's gonna, he calls us to believe. And this week is compassion. And to truly have God's compassion takes a strong conviction. Tr- godly compassion is not just a quick fix to things. Godly compassion is not just feeling good about things. It's actually doing something. I got a quick video I just want to show as a kind of an introduction to this. I just, I like for two reasons. One, I think it shows a little bit of a modern day example of compassion. And secondly, it's done so by teenagers. And I love it anytime you see teenagers celebrated in the things that that they're doing in a godly way. Peter Morales of the Coronado High School Thunderbirds in El Paso, Texas, makes no qualms about it. Okay. He has a favorite on this team. Mitchell, I need you. I need you to help me out with my coaching tips, Mitchell. Team manager Mitchell Marcus has a developmental disability. One, two, three, four. And he far surpasses everyone here when it comes to love of the game. He's this amazing person that our basketball team loves being around. Yay! Mitchell's mom, Amy, says he's always been that way. Mitchell always had a basketball. That was always what he wanted for his birthday. And because basketball is that important to him, on the last game of the regular season, the coach told Mitchell to suit up. What was it like to put on the uniform? I was very happy. I bet you were. Just wearing a jersey was enough for Mitchell. But what he didn't know, what no one knew at the time, was that the coach planned to play him. At the end, no matter what the score. You were prepared to lose that game? For his moment, yes. For his moment in time, yes. And so, with a minute and a half left, Coronado leading, but only by 10, Coach Morales put in his manager. And just started hearing Mitchell, Mitchell. But here's where the fairy tale fell apart. Although his teammates did everything they could to get Mitchell a basket, each time they passed him the ball, he either missed the shot or, like on their last possession, booted it out of bounds, turning the ball over to the other team with just seconds left. He wasn't going to be able to score. But I was hoping that he was happy that he was just put in the game. Could you have ever imagined what happened next? No, I did I could not. Not at all. What happened next happened on the inbound. The guy with the ball there is a senior at Franklin High School. Number 22, Jonathan Montanez. Uh, I just, I was raised to treat others how you want to be treated. Just thought Mitchell deserved his chance, deserved his opportunity. I think I'll cry about it for the rest of my life. What Jonathan did was yell out Mitchell's name, then threw the ball right to it, right there. 
one of the most memorable turnovers of all time. It wasn't the game-winning shot. When the buzzer sounded, Coronado had 15 more points than Franklin. But Jonathan's assist and Mitchell's basket did change the outcome decidedly. Play any game with this much sportsmanship. Both teams win. Steve Hartman on the road in El Paso, Texas. Pretty cool, huh? Um, you know, and I love, I love the, what the, the kid on the opposing team did. I love that he took it upon himself to just throw the ball into the kid because that wasn't set up. That was just something he had on his heart to show a little compassion. And it's amazing what a little thing can do to show compassion to someone. So our key idea this week is I believe that God calls all Christians to show compassion to people in need. And, you know, without talking about what we talked about last week, the idea of humanity and that God loves and values all people equally, that no one is more, e- no one is more valued than another in God's eyes. No one is more deserving of love than another. Without that, we can't really have godly compassion. See, we have to learn to value people as God values them if we're going to have his kind of compassion on people. There's a couple different terms used for the word compassion throughout the Bible, and they range from having sympathy to surrounding someone in love to finally to suffer with. And the passages we're going to look at today and and talk about uh, deal with this idea of to suffer with someone, that you actually walk with someone through their suffering, that you you don't just feel bad about it, you don't just maybe give a little token thing to it, but you actually walk with them through it. I mean, if you were here last week, Mike t- shared with you about how, the, um, how Christianity advanced during Roman times, much due to the compassion that the church showed during the plagues. And that during the plagues, the church came around people and loved people as they were dying. They didn't abandon them. They actually took them in while all the other pagan religions put people out. The the Christians brought them in. And, And it was a huge piece of drawing people to Christ because people not only heard what we believe and and heard what we stand for, they actually saw it. And I think as the church, we are called to show people what we stand for. Um, I teach a a spiritual leadership class um, every year through Mountain View University that we do, and it's an eight-week class that we talk about spiritual leadership principles. And one of the things we talked about for that is in order to lead people spiritually, we, we have to be growing spiritually. You can't lead people where you have yourself have not gone. And in that d- discussion, one of the questions I asked was, how can you gauge whether or not you are growing spiritually? What are some of the things we can gauge by? Um, and an issue with that is a lot of times church looks at spiritual growth by how well someone conforms to the rest of the church, right? When people start to look and dress and act the way the rest of the people in the church do, well, they must be growing spiritually, right? And we, we, we kind of grasp that, okay, that's not it. Okay, so, so how is it? How, how does it work? Well, so then we start talking about, well, you know, by reading your Bible, by, by praying, by being involved in service, by, by really being a part of the body of Christ, these are ways that you can, you can look at. 
But then I love because because someone threw out an answer that just it, they ex excited me. Uh, when you're teaching, if you've ever taught something, you know there's a difference between people just thinking you did a good job teaching it and someone actually grasping the concept and and like getting it, you know, and it, that's, that's what excites you when you're teaching. And so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher what he said exactly, and I don't even remember who, who said it, but, but basically they said this. They said, if we examine the greatest commandments that we love, our Lord, love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that we love our neighbor as ourselves, then we really can't measure our relationship with God by those things of, of prayer and reading the Bible and church we can only measure if we're growing in our relationship with God by how we're growing in love. And I was like, yes, that's, that's it. That's, that's so true. That, that's how we measure whether or not we are growing in Christ is do we love with his love. So, so let's take a few minutes and look at that. Let's look at the greatest commandments. Luke 10, 25 through 37. If you've got your Bibles, turn. If you don't have your Bibles, grab one of the P1s. Luke 10, chapter 10. Uh, in your New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And if you've been with us for a while, you, you've heard this passage used uh, because this is where we, we get our vision statement as a church that we would give all the love all. Um, it's summed up in this. Verse 25, we're going we're gonna to start by looking at verse 25 through 28. It says this, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, replied Jesus. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. See, the, to give all the love, I'll give everything to love everybody. That's, that's the vision statement of Mountain View Fellowship. Now, incidentally, it, that's the vision statement of the church. That is not the statement we use for you to be able to judge whether or not everyone else is doing what they're supposed to be doing. That is the statement we use for you to judge yourself by. That, that if you've said, hey, I want to be a part of Mountain View Fellowship, I want to I have ownership in this church body, then, then that's the standard we all hold ourselves to. But it's not the standard in which we look at everyone else and going, hey, are they doing it? Are they doing it? Are they doing it? It's, it's for you to look at yourself. But see, Jesus is being clear here. He's saying we don't measure our faith by our knowledge or by the things we do to grow or even by the time spent doing spiritual things. Rather, we measure our faith and our relationship with God by love, by how well we love our love for him and our love for his people. Let me get, give you an illustration. If you were to ask me, hey, Shane, how's your relationship with Tanya going? My wife. How, how's your relationship with Tanya? If I just said, well, you know, we, we went on a date every other week this last month. I told her I loved her at least twice a day. Uh, we've had an active sex life. I've sent her three texts. That, hey, that's just normal part of marriage. <laughs> Say, hopefully. If <laughs> I sent, read the Bible. I sent, her, I sent her three texts over the last month letting her know that, uh, that she's special to me. I got, her a little, I got her a little gift, and I just left it there. And you, would that tell you, 
for sure. Did, would that really tell you how our relationship is going? No, that tells you some things I do to hopefully foster a good relationship, but that doesn't tell you that I'm growing in love with her. Now, if I said, I did this, 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 and this, and you know the greatest thing about it is as I'm doing those things, I find it helps me love her more because it helps me understand her things from her perspective. It helps me see who she is, the things that bug me about her. It helps me see, you know, that, that that's just a part of her makeup, and she doesn't see things the way I do because we're communicating better. I see all those things, so I love her more now. See, that would explain how our relationship is going. Just the things I do, that doesn't necessarily explain it. That just gives you things I'm doing. And the same thing goes with our relationship with God. If we want to love him more deeply, well, then communicating to him in prayer is a great way to do that. If we want to love him more deeply, then learning about him and who he is through his word is a great way to do that. If we want to love him more deeply than taking the time to go to church and become a part of the body of Christ, growing together and learning to deal with one another and, and learning patience through one another, oh, then that's a great way to do that. But none of those things determine whether or not we have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and he goes on to talk about that, and we'll get that in just a minute with the sermon on, with the uh, Good Samaritan. But when Jesus says that, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself, when he says, yes, that is it, that's the, great, that's the greatest commandment, that's how you know if you're growing in God, the same thing goes through this guy's mind that probably goes through most of our minds. Well, what do you mean, love your neighbors yourself? Right? He, he, he basically is saying, well, okay, but where's the line? See, listen to what he says in verse 29. He says, says he wanted to justify himself, so he asked, and who is my neighbor? Okay, Jesus, I get that I'm supposed to love my neighbor. But who are we talking about? You remember when Peter um, asked Jesus how many times he's supposed to forgive someone? He, he said, hey, Jesus, how many times are we supposed to forgive someone? Should we forgive them seven times? And Peter thought he was being like super godly because the law said three times. So he like doubled it and added one for extra holiness. And, and so he says seven times. And, and Jesus says, no, I tell you 70 times seven. Well, this guy's asking the same thing that Peter was doing. He's saying, where's the line? Where, what, what do you actually mean? Where, how far do I have to go? He's saying, you know, okay, again, I'm supposed to love my family and love my friends and love the people at church, at least some of them, and, and, and love some of my coworkers. But you're not talking about that one guy at work, are you? You're not talking about that neighbor three doors down. You know the one, right? You're not talking about that one, right? If you don't know the one, you're the one. Okay, um, and, and see, you're not talking about all that. Right? And, and Jesus says, no, love your neighbor as yourself. Love everyone. And, and he's going to explain it through this story. Look at verse 30. Now, here's the deal. If you're like me, you read a story like this, and it's so easy to go, oh, I know this story, so I don't need to pay attention. If you've been around churchianity very long, you've read your Bible at all, you, you've probably read this story. It's really easy to read these stories and just kind of just just not really grasp much out of it because we feel like we already know it. But it's amazing to me when I really just try to figure out every little thing through it, how much it really reveals things in my heart when I, when I really dig into these stories. It says this, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road 
And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Okay, so when we look at this story, what does Jesus do? He he presents a picture of, of a man in need. And then he gives you a religious person. Notice, a religious person, someone who read their Bible, prayed, went to services, did a lot of service, and what he shows you is, and yet the man didn't love. So he says, doesn't matter what you do, all those parameters you're, you're trying to gauge whether or not you're growing in a relationship with God, those don't really matter if you don't love, is what he's saying. That love should be the result of those things. And then he goes to a the Levite, which probably would amount to the second most religious person these people could think of, and says the same thing. See, he says that all those things that they, that they do, because that's just in the, the, their culture, that's what they think of when they think of that person. They think of what that person does. He says all that doesn't matter because they don't love. Then he goes on and he talks about the Samaritan. Now, it would have been normal had he just talked about a normal Jew, right? Just a, the, a, an average Jewish person. They, they would have expected that. But instead he talks about a Samaritan. They hated Samaritans. They hated Samaritans so much that they would travel an extra day to day and a half to go around Samaria if they had to go, go that direction. They, that's how much they hated Samaritans. They hated Samaritans so much. Notice what, the way that he answers. I love, it says, when Jesus says, verse 36, which of these three do you think was the neighbor? Notice verse 37. He says, the one who had mercy on him. He can't say the Samaritan. He can't say all oh, the Samaritan was. Instead, he goes, that, that one. Right? I can't actually say that person was better or, or, or did, did what you would want. Because I can't even imagine that that person would do what you want. But Jesus is saying, see, love requires action. And and the Samaritan showed action. So regardless of what you think about that person, it goes back to what we talked about last week. Regardless of how you view them, God views them, everyone, the same. And he says that person is actually could possibly be the one who's more godly than the person you look to as the godly person. See, love is a word I think that we overuse in our society. I think we throw it around flippantly. We'd, I think we, we, we talk about love like it's a, a feeling, that it comes and it goes. Um, but love described in the Bible is not a feeling. Love, love is an action. Love is a verb word. Um, if you've been around this church very often, you've heard me talk pretty boldly about what I believe the negative effects of pornography are on our culture and how it's perversing our culture. 
I think there's another form of pornography for women, and it's called romance movies and novels. And, and it's easy to kind of go, oh, well, it's not, that, it's not the, that you shouldn't even put that in the same category. Anything that perverts what God's idea of truth is, is perversion. And, and we, I think we're raising a generation of young women, just like we're raising a generation of young men that have a complete perverse idea of sexuality. We're raising a, pervert, a, a generation of young women who have a completely perverse idea of love. That love is something that happens to me. That love is something that just the right guy comes and then he's not the right guy and it's a feeling and it comes and it goes. That love is not something that I commit to and I stick with and I work with and I look at who I am and what I need to do to, be in, to, to keep a relationship with someone. It's just something that happens and sometimes it comes and sometimes it goes. And I think we need to be careful with, with how we use the word love. Love is an action word. Love requires something of you. And we're called to, to, to persevere when it comes to love. And when it comes to compassion, we're going to see in just a second, compassion requires something of us. Compassion is not a feeling. It's something that requires an action. So that leads us to our first thing. Compassion does, does something. Compassion does something. We have a problem that we often judge. Sociologists tell us we judge others by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intentions. Okay? So what that means is we look at what other people do and we think, oh, well, that person didn't call me. Oh, you know, we, make up, we start making up reasons why they didn't call. Or that person didn't do this. And, that per- and, and we judge people by what they do. We judge ourselves by what we felt like we were going to do or what we thought about doing, what we had good intentions of doing. And oftentimes, we don't actually act on those intentions, but we meant to. So we think of ourselves as good people, while we judge other people as, more, as in a negative light, oftentimes. And we, we have to understand, compassion is not just your intention. Compassion is an action. It's actually doing something. What did, do, what, that story would have been a completely different story, wouldn't it? Had he said, and then a Samaritan went by, and as he passed, he said a prayer for the man. And continued on his journey feeling guilty. Right? <laughs> but but that's, the way most, that's the way most of us live our lives. Right? No, he, 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 he said, I'll let you interpret how this. The, he got down off of his donkey. The Bible's used other words for that back in the... He got down off of his donkey and did something. I heard a thing that said, compassion means we have to get off of our and do something. You can figure that out. Um, and, but, but, <laughs> but it means we, we got to do something. We've got to do something. That's compassion. Here's the other thing. We're all called to it. Every one of us is called to it. We're all called to do something. That's not a, a, a fill-in. But I was thinking about that. Everyone's called to compassion. Just like, you know, you know um, giving is a spiritual gift. Did you know that? Like some people, they just have a gift of giving. And they, it's amazing. They give to big things. They, they, they just, they see, they fully see giving as they understand their resources as God's resources in a way that the average person doesn't, and they, they give amazingly in generous ways. Yet we're all called to give. We're all called to be givers. Same thing with compassion. Some people just have compassionate hearts. They are just the most compassionate people I've, I, I've met. My wife is far more compassionate than me. Um, and, and other people just are just, they, they're just very compassionate. But we're all called to it. We're all called, to, and I say that because I'm not a very compassionate person. So it's easy for me to 
not want to be, not want to do that. I, I, I want to, I, I want to, you know, constantly be looking forward. And, and sometimes you can't be looking forward when you're, when you're worrying about bringing other people along. You have to, you have to look backwards. And you have to stay there sometimes. And you have to stay there longer than you want to stay there. And yet, it, it, like, remember it says suffer with them. Suffering isn't something you just move through quickly. Suffering takes time. And we're all called to that. And no matter how difficult that is for me, and there are times, that doesn't mean that's what I have to live my life all the time. I'm still called to, when it, there's a need in front of me, to, to recognize it and deal with it. So we don't, we don't get a pass on that. Secondly, compassion costs something. Compassion costs something. Notice that it actually cost the Samaritan financially. He actually gave something financially to, to take care of this man. A lot of times we do acts that make us feel better, but they actually are not acts of compassion. I'll be honest, and it's still a good thing. I still think it's helpful. But if most of us in this church, and I'm not trying to be harsh, I'm just trying to be real. If most of us in this church, we go home and we fill a box and we bring it here, that's really not an act of compassion. That's, that's just kind of us feeling better about something. Um, we, mission trips. A lot of mission trips really are not, you, we go for a week and you do something, a lot of times it's not really an act of compassion. A lot of times it's, it's people getting to feel better about something versus really making a difference. You know, it, it takes, you got to come alongside people and hurt with people if you really want to make a difference. You can't just, it, it, it's not a Band-Aid, you know. And that's why, for us, we wanna, we're actually taking on a church. We're, we're actually taking on a ministry there that we can have a long-term relationship with. And, you know, and, and that gives people opportunity to continue going back, to continue building relationship, continue helping specific families, continue walking alongside with them through their pain, praying for them on a regular basis, doing those things, versus us just every year going to a different spot and seeing what else is out there. It, 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 it has to cost something. I think, I think the key verse... Um, for this week's reading, really defines compassion. So I'd like to just close the last few minutes by looking at this. Psalms 82, verse 3 through 4. <clears throat> Psalm 82, verse 3, for four, 3 and 4. It says this. It says, Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and oppressed. Some versions say, uphold the rights. Rescue the weak and needy. And deliver them from the hand of the wicked. I just want to look at those four key things. Number one, defend. We are called to defend the cause of the weak. We're called to defend. You know, defending the causes of the weak has always been one of the markers of God's people. God's people have always been called to defend the weak. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 through 19, as God is establishing his people as he's brought them out of Egypt, it says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and of the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. 
And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. He also, later on, as they became a kingdom, he judged his kings by their compassion and their defense of the poor. Jeremiah 22. Jeremiah 22, verse five through, or 15 through 17. Jeremiah is uh, judging one of the kings, and he says this. He says, Does it make you a king to have more and more cedar? Did not your father have food and drink? He did what was right and just, so all went well with him. He defended the cause of the poor and needy, and so all went well. Is that not what it means to know me? Hear that? Is that not what it means to know me? He goes on, it declares, Lord, but your eyes and your heart are set only on dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, and on oppression and extortion. See, we're called to stand for the helpless. We're called to stand for the weak, for those that cannot stand on their own. Secondly, we're called to uphold, uphold or maintain the rights. Let's face it. And when I think of uphold and maintain, it means keeping it in front of us. We're called to keep it in front of us so we, we're, always, we're always aware and, and able to act. Because let's face it, we're selfish beings. I, you know, it's pretty easy to get selfish. It's like one of the quickest things that we fall into. And if we don't constantly keep others' needs in front of us, it's easy to become callous to them. Proverbs 21, verse 13 says, If a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. We're called to, to stand for the needs of the poor. We live in a culture that is really into campaigns. Have you ever noticed that? We're like, we love campaigns. Um, and, but you know, the church, the body of Christ is called to more than piffy, cute sayings and t-shirts and wearing certain colors. We're called to more than that. It, it does not cost you anything to change the status of your Facebook. I'm sorry. It doesn't cost us anything to wear a color. It, we're, we're called to more than that. We're called to actually walk with people through their pain. We're called to make the needs of others a reality in our lives. What does it cost you? What, 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 when was the last time it cost us? to uphold the rights of the oppressed. You know, I, I have to say, I'm so glad that some people stepped forward to continue, keep our um, tutoring program alive. Um, because quite frankly, I feel like as a church, that's one of the struggles I've had over the last couple years is first four or five years as a church, we, we were very passionate about being involved in the community. And I've noticed a little bit of stepping away from that. And, and as a leader, I have to take responsibility for that. I absolutely have to take responsibility for that. that but, but that's something that, that we need to really examine and look at. Are, are we doing that like we did? And so I'm glad that we're at least keeping that tutoring program going because it would be so sad to me if these kids that are working hard to be good students and, and, are, and are really great kids, if no one was there to walk with them and help them through that. That's one need that's in front of us that, that we can meet. Um, I'm, I'm so thrilled that Marina is involved in the Pregnancy Crisis Center. Um, and I know there's probably maybe a couple others of you that are, and I know if you're not and you don't know about it, Marina would love to talk to you about it. Um, but because, you know, who else, 
Who is less weak and has less ability to uphold their rights than the unborn? Right? Who, who, we, we, if, if no one's going to stand, stand for them, who, 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 who will? And I guarantee you, no one outside of the body of Christ, very few outside of the body of Christ, are, are, are going to take that stand. I love that we sponsor so many kids through our Hands for Honduras program. Um, those kids, if you don't know what they're at, we're do, we don't do a great job of promoting. We, those kids that you see that, um, on the bulletin board out there, those are all kids from the area we go to in Honduras that can be sponsored. And, and you can put them through school and feed them and clothe them. And it's like $32 a month. And, and that can happen. And these are like kids that you can actually go on a trip and meet and see. My daughter Hannah has gone and seen the, the little girl that she um, has sponsored. And she gets to go in her home and see that she, that she has pictures of her and Hannah together on, in her home. And, and um, so these, these are real kids that we, we can do this with. And yet it saddens me that there's still kids up there. That, 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 we, that there's still a need there. We need to uphold the rights and defend the rights. And we need, and it's part of our job as a church. As much as it sometimes makes us feel uncomfortable and sometimes we feel like, oh, they're getting on us about not doing, that's kind of our job. <laughs> it's part of our job as a church is to, to uphold these things and put them in front of us so that, so that we, uh, we constantly have it re- as, that as a reminder. And then finally, we need to rescue and deliver. We need to rescue and deliver from the Jewish uh, writings from the Talmud, it says this, it says, he who saves a life saves the whole world. See, it's easy to get so caught up and calloused and deadened in our thinking and, and be just worry about taking care of me. It's easy to get caught up in that. When we, but when we sacrifice something to save another, to rescue and deliver someone, it reminds us that we are all connected. One of the greatest human needs is to be connected. And yet, we so easily buy into the sin of looking out for number one. Sociologists have a term called bystander syndrome. And bystander syndrome says that the, when there's an emergency, the greater the amount of people observing that emergency, the less chance there are of people stepping in to help. So, and what happens is because we all become a faceless number. And, and, and we, we think someone else will do it. Someone else will take responsibility, and we don't step in. And I, I fear is with the way our world has gotten so big, we feel that way. I mean, as it's so big, it, it feels so small. We, just, we see all the things, and we just start to go, I can't, I, well, I can't do anything. I'm just one person. What am I going to do? I can't help that. But someone else will do that. We're turning it over to our government, which is not, in my mind, the best way to do that. We, we need to take personal responsibility to do these things. Christ's body should never assume that someone else is going to do it. If the body of Christ isn't going to do it, then who is? I'll close with this. Jesus himself said, the poor you will always have with you. And you know, Jesus didn't spend his whole life just going around and healing the poor. I mean, helping the poor and healing the sick. He, he actually had a purpose and he lived that purpose out. But when a need was in front of him, every time, every time a need was in front of him that we see, he didn't ignore it. He dealt with it. Are we the kind of people that when a need is in front of us, we deal with it? Or do we go to the other side of the road and hope it goes away? 
There's a silly story that made an impact on me when I was a uh, brand new Christian. In fact, it's what called me into ministry. I mean, it was part of what, when I decided to go into full-time ministry. And it is a silly story, but I'm going to share it with you because it made an impact on me. There's, there was, and you may have heard it, but there's a man walking along the beach. And as he strolled along the beach, he got to a spot where he saw thousands of starfish washed upon the shore. And down the way a little bit, he saw a young boy picking up those starfish and hucking them into the ocean, one by one. And the man looked, and he saw it was hopeless. Most of these starfish were going to die before this boy ever was able to make much of a dent. And he walks up to the boy, and he says, son, what are you doing? Can't you see this is hopeless? You're never going to save all these starfish. You're not going to make a difference. And the boy takes the starfish in his hand and throws it into the water, and he says, I did to that one. See, as Christ followers, we, we can't change the whole world. The poor we will always have with us. But we are called to make a difference to the ones that God puts in front of us. Let's be those kinds of people. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your love and your compassion on us. And um, God, I, um, I struggle because I know sometimes it's so hard for me to remember to to look back, to stop and look to the side even and, and see the person with a need. God, help us to have your heart for people that in the midst of our busyness, in the midst of our schedules, that sometimes we would say, you know, I don't, enough is enough, enough for me. It, it's time for me to get outside myself. It's time to me to see people the way God sees them. It's time to me for me to value every life the way God values it and to love people with his love. And sometimes that means getting dirty. Sometimes it means taking way more time than we want. But help us to remember that the sacrifice you made for us is the example. In your name I pray, amen. We're gonna head into our